Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is by G. Wayne Miller for the Providence Journal. Good evening. I'm Mary Marin and currently have the privilege of serving as president and COO of both Butler Hospital and the Providence which together serve a very large portion of our state's adult behavioral health care needs. I'm also a Care New England Senior Vice President and I oversee behavioral health services for Care New England. And uh, for the purposes of full disclosure, I'm the Vice Chair of the Hospital Association of Rhode Island's Board of Directors. Thank you for the opportunity to testify this evening. In my role as a behavioral health leader, it is not unusual for me to receive calls from friends and colleagues who are seeking help for someone who they know who's in need of treatment for both or either psychiatric or substance use disorders. These calls come from parents, grandparents, siblings, friends, and colleagues who are seeking help for someone they care about or for themselves, and they're heartbreaking for many reasons. They are, for one, all too frequent. They are often at a point when the individual is in need of inpatient care. And I am often without good options due to the current high demand for behavioral health care. What is most distressing to me is that in many of these situations, they could have been avoided if we could have only intervened sooner. When I assumed the role of president at Butler in 2017, I actually believe that in five years, and I said this aloud often, we'd be utilizing fewer inpatient beds, not more. I have worked with my very capable management teams to add innumerable ambulatory and outpatient programs, believing that these services would be necessary to avoid hospital utilization and would lead to improved outcomes for our patients. Actually, I have not added a single licensed bed, although I've had to use unlicensed bed capacity. And as you know, that's included overflow units and a field hospital location in an auditorium in the midst of the COVID crisis in January. But here I sit five years later, and the demand for inpatient beds is higher than it has ever been. Yes, the pandemic has exacerbated the problems, but cannot nearly explain away the level of increase. As I prepared for this testimony, I've I've contemplated how best to describe the state of access to behavioral health services in Rhode Island, and what to do about the many challenges we currently face. The short answer is that we have far more demand than we have capacity to meet this demand. We also have a continuum of care with critical gaps in in services and and a workforce that is depleted and tired. The result is that we have both patients who can't get into hospitals when they need them and can't get out of them when they're ready to step down due to the lack of appropriate community placements and related services. Every day, our admissions department at Butler Hospital contacts each and every Rhode Island uh, ED to determine how many patients are waiting for inpatient beds. Last week, there was an average of 32 patients a day waiting. 32 adult patients a day with serious behavioral health care needs 
are waiting for our inpatient help, in addition to the ones we're already working hard to care for. This is not an unusual week, and it's important to recognize that this doesn't include children who are awaiting placement, often at Hasbro and other hospitals, but when we treat patients who are uh, 13 years of age or older. Additionally, our 24-7 call center fields hundreds of calls each day from individuals seeking help for a behavioral health condition. Although these calls are not for inpatient care exclusively, they represent the extraordinary need for, for care that exists in the community. There's, there's a staggering increase in the need for services for adolescents and young adults, which is also worth, worthy of highlighting. It is true that when the continuum of care is inadequate, meaning patients are unable to access care at the right time and the right place, our hospital EDs are most directly impacted. The result is that behavioral health patients wind up in the EDs, often boarding for hours or even days, resulting in delayed treatment and stretched resources, not to mention added stress to them, their caregivers, and our healthcare workers who are trying to help them. Ultimately, everyone is impacted that ends up and ends up being affected, whether or not they are suffering from a behavioral health condition or some other medical condition that is bringing them to the emergency care setting. Although I speak most specifically to the needs of the adolescent and adult populations, ch children and family providers are facing similar challenges. The lack of community resources to care for children and families facing behavioral health needs reveals itself in a similar fashion with children boarding for long periods in EDs and hospitals awaiting specialized care. Rhode, Island's, Rhode Islanders, regard, regardless of age, race, or socioeconomic status, deserve better. Failure to address these critical needs in behavioral health will negatively impact the health and well-being of all of us. So I have written, <laughs> rewritten, and revised this testimony many times over the past several days. The truth is, I can't possibly address all of the challenges we face in this current environment in 10 minutes. But let me be clear, pandemic aside, the overwhelming demand for inpatient beds is reflective of a broken system of care. Inpatient stays are disruptive and should not be the first place any Rhode Islander experiences treatment for a mental illness or substance use disorder. We need to invest in community-based services and outpatient care. Education aimed at prevention and early detection, along with access to treatment as early as possible, is essential and will require tactics such as expanding integration into primary care. I'm not suggesting that inpatient beds will disappear. We will continue to need both acute and long-term inpatient bed capacity. There is a need to construct and renovate appropriate long-term facilities at Eleanor Slater Hospital. We need this setting to care for the most severely disabled individuals, including those who struggle with severe mental illness, as well as intellectual and developmental disabilities. We need to have adequate capacity for both forensic and civil admissions. Entry into needed long-term care should not require a criminal charge. The dollars we invest at Eleanor Slater must provide us with financial financially sustainable facilities, but must also improve the physical environments of care. The conditions of the settings where we provide care matter. They hold both therapeutic value and speak to the dignity and respect we place on the individuals we serve. 
My remaining comments will address what I suggest should be, should be our priorities if we hope to improve our problems with access. First, we need to stabilize and grow the workforce, particularly in community settings. We should show our appreciation for the dedication and commitment of staff who stood in through the pandemic to care for some of the most severely ill patients in our communities. Literally, and I'm going to take a minute to say that the staff who care for our patients, both in the hospital, behavioral health staff, and in the community, never imagined that the care they would provide would put them in front of a deadly virus. In fact, you know, with that, think about the settings. We have far less control in behavioral health and had far less control in behavioral health because of the fact that in my hospital, patients walk around. And in the community, you can control and you know movement and distancing far less. So our behavioral health staff are heroes. You need to say that. <laughs> the workforce stabilization funds that we are waiting for for our community mental health centers and substance use treatment settings is a start. But we need to provide sustainable competitive rates and benefits, or we'll have no one to care for the most vulnerable among us. This will require commitment to rate increases above and beyond these yet to arrive workforce stabilization funds. Workforce development initiatives will be critical, but they're not going to meet our immediate needs. The help just won't be quickly enough, will come quickly enough. We need to examine how we are providing care now and be certain we have behavioral health providers working to the top of their license or credential. Eliminating inefficiencies and unnecessary regulatory requirements while developing new and innovative models of care will be essential to addressing the immediate crisis. <coughs> we also need to consider introducing and or expanding clinical discipline, disciplines not tra traditionally seen in meaningful ways in the community. Physician assistants, occupational therapists, psychologists, all could provide additional staffing resources now and begin to alleviate this immediate staffing crisis. We also need to eliminate the ED boarding problem. To this end, Butler Hospital has proposed a brief stay unit that would serve to provide a setting for inpatients who are experiencing acute psychiatric and substance use disorders. This unit would allow treatment that would, excuse me, this unit will allow treatment that will eliminate unnecessary delays in care and significantly reduce ED boarding. We've already submitted an ARPA funds request for the capital funding required to make this unit possible. The idea would be that individuals who would typically be boarding in EDs while awaiting care could be admitted to this unit to commence treatment sooner. Many of these individuals could likely be discharged back to the community after receiving brief inpatient stabilization, while other patients would need extended inpatient care and could be transferred to those beds as they became available. It's not unlike what we did uh, during the pandemic when we opened a, a temporary brief stay unit. Equally important is our need to expand and improve the supportive housing capacity for both the severely mentally ill and intellectually and, and developmentally disabled populations. We cannot move patients from hospitals to the community without more capacity in our residential and group home settings. This capacity will also require intermediate care facilities. Patients who have been in long-term hospital settings will likely require a more gradual step down to community placements, and these ICF settings will be critical to successful transitions to the community. 
We not only have to expand capacity, we have to invest in improving the physical conditions of these facilities as well. You already heard me say, where we care for our clients and patients matter. Increasing the number of certified community behavioral health centers will also be essential to our ability to care for individuals in their communities of choice and will reduce the need for higher, higher levels of care, including hospitalization. We need to expand our mobile crisis efforts and continue our all important, important partnering with police departments to address the need for appropriately, appropriate emergency response in the community. We also cannot relent on our efforts to combat the opioid crisis and to grow and expand our continuum for the treatment of substance use disorders. My list is no, no means uh, an exhaustive one and may sound overwhelming. Focusing on only one or two of these issues will simply not be enough. In some situations, it could make the problem worse. We are in a crisis, but we have a committed provider community standing ready. We may never again have an opportunity like this to invest in our behavioral health continuum in a way that will address both long-standing problems and new demands for care. We need your continued support and your willingness to invest in these comprehensive changes and improvements. The pandemic has taught us that no one is immune from mental illness. We must recognize that addressing the behavioral health needs of our citizens will indeed improve the overall health and well-being of all Rhode Islanders. If we do this job correctly, those who need our care will get it when they need it and without delay. Fewer people will need hospitalization. We will reduce the suffering of those who seek help, and most importantly, we will save lives. Thank you so much for your attention today and thank you for caring about these issues. Please know that I and the organizations that I lead stand ready to assist in any way possible. Thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.